0: Welcome to the podcast of The Table of Minneapolis Church. We are a community that is committed to practicing the ways of Jesus by creating space for all to belong and be loved. Our hope is that in this podcast, in the message that you will hear, that you'll be reminded again of the eternal truth that no matter who you are or what you've done, who you love or what you've lost, the places that you've gone or the places that you've stayed, there will always be a seat here for you at the table, for you're a child of God, and beloved, you belong. Enjoy this week's message.
1: We are honored to have Micah with him with us. He is from Awaken West 7th. He's the pastor there. Would you give him a round of applause, please? Thank you.
0: Hey, everybody. How's it going? I'm just trying to be Matt Moberg here. I'm running. I'm doing the same. A couple weeks ago, we had Matt come and speak at Awaken, and I was like, Holy, I, I move a lot, uh, and I don't tend to sit still. People always say, do you want a stool? And I'm like, yeah, I'll try that, and it never pans out. But he was another level, a whole other level. So um, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Um, You're finishing a series called Bear Fruit tonight. And Matt told me that my passage or my portion of the passage from Galatians 5 would be uh, self-control. So I'd like to begin this evening by telling you two stories, the first of which is this. I was the fortunate person to have grown up with four brothers. And so I have five uh, boys that grew up in my home. So there was never any shortage of reasons to absolutely kill each other. Uh, We fought over everything. We fought over baseball cards, Halloween candy, Uh, I stole my brother's clothes all the time, which he was very upset about. Uh, We played all kinds of backyard games, things we made up, things that were, you know, things you might know as, oh man, this is going to be tricky. Um, And so we fought all the time. And uh, I was a little bit of a a freak uh, in terms of, there was a a phrase that they they would, when I was about to lose it. as a young boy, my brothers would gather around me and they would all kind of lean in, not too close, because they knew if they got too close they might get injured, but they would begin to chant. And the chant that they would they would use against me was, spaz, 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 spaz. So like, it would just sort of grow and grow. And, and of course, I would flip my lid. And for all kinds of reasons, uh, we would throw things at each other. My brother once threw a pencil sharpener at me, like not the kind you put in your backpack, but the ones you mount on a desktop. Uh, He threw a butter knife once and broke the the stove, Uh, so there was a lot of reasons why we could get upset with one another, and I was uh, a a real hothead growing up, Um, which led to, uh, I played golf as a a youngster, and I I ended up playing in college on a, a scholarship in Colorado. And uh, my junior year of college, we were down at the Air Force Academy, big tournament at the end of the year, like one of the most important tournaments. We're leading after the first day, you know, to go on towards the regional or whatever. And so I'm grinding it out on day two and and, uh, trying to like make my score count. And I get to like the 16th hole and I'm, I'm, I'm still in the game and I'm right in the middle of the fairway on a par five. I'm hitting the ball into the green. And if anybody, do you know what a shank is? shank, any golfers in the room. So if you're hitting a golf ball and you're going to hit it this way and you want it to go that way, a shank goes off the hosel of the golf club and just goes dead right. It's awful. It's, it's terrible. It's a terrible sound. So I shank it straight into the woods and I just, I lose it. You know, I'm, I'm moping around. I come up to the green. I slam my bag down on the, on the back of the green. I take my hat and I throw it on the ground. And there was a five-star retired Air Force general behind the green. And this guy, he was just not having any of, it, any of it. So he went and found my coach. And he's like, who the? Hell is this kid out there doing this, that, and the other thing? I got kicked off my college golf team um, for losing my cool. And in front of the wrong guy, but it, it really, it was, it was my own fault. So when Matt told me, Micah, uh, I'd like you to come to the table and speak about self-control, I was like, you've got the right guy, Matt. <laughs> I think I'm going to have a lot to offer to this conversation. Um, What I want to do tonight is take a little bit of an unconventional take on self-control. I'm not going to talk to you about limiting uh, your anger or, you know, keeping it under control or holding your tongue or doing the things that we often think about when we talk about self-control or we think about self-control. I actually want to flip it and I want to ask the question, when do you let it rip? Like, when do you allow yourself to be activated, to be engaged in something, and what does that look like when you do? As people who follow Jesus, right, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 that if you are empowered by the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God is alive and well in you, then there will be certain marks, certain character qualities that will show up when you show up. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and in fact, self-control. But is it ever okay to just let it rip? Uh, I think in the culture that we live in and the time that we live in, specifically in our politics and in our country, that this is a, an appropriate conversation to have, so I thought about well what could I offer about self control and sort of the traditional venue, and I thought about that, and it really wasn 't much so i 'm going strengths finders here friends i 'm going to act i'm'm going gonna, I'm gonna focus on my strengths and not my weaknesses because I really don 't have anything to tell you about how to hold your tongue and keep your anger under control. Is that fair? Does that sound good? so I want to ask like if you 're going to engage if you 're going to be active if you 're going to be uh, an activist or an activator, activator is one of my top uh, What's that? uh, Yes, one of my top five strengths. Um, What does that look like? And how do we do that well? Is it ever okay to let it rip? Uh, What does strength or power under control look like when one might engage? Uh, So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to stand. If you don't, the the words will be on the screen behind me. Um, At Awaken, when we read the scripture where I pastor, I ask people to stand. And so since I am one of your pastors tonight, I'll invite you to do the same. And we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 21. I'm going to read a a little bit before we get to the passage I really want to focus on to give you some context. Matthew says this, As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there uh, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Then the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt, and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of them. And those, uh, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus entered the temple courts, and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Classic religious people, right? The kids love him, and they hate him. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him. Yes, replied Jesus, have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Pray with me if you would. God, tonight as we take a bit of time to think about uh, what Matthew has reminded us of, this story that he has told us about Jesus and his actions, I pray that as we think about what it means to be people of God, what it means to be people influenced and, and under the influence of the Spirit at work in our lives, that you might offer some wisdom to us about what it looks like, when and if we engage, when power is released, when we are active and engaged and that we might learn something from the example of Jesus, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and all the people said together, Amen. amen, amen. You may be seated. So just a little bit of background before verses 13 and 14, in my opinion, unlock the door to the question that I'm asking tonight. What does it look like for Jesus or what can we learn from Jesus when he lets it rip, when he really goes all in and he's active and engaged? Can we learn anything from him? A uh, little bit of background, this story shows up in all three of the, gospel, uh, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's often out there doing his own thing. And so in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this story shows up. They all tell it a little bit differently, though. Um, Luke adds a little detail about Jesus weeping over Jerusalem and wishing that they had understood what would bring them peace. He doesn't talk about the fig tree, which comes right after this in Matthew. Um, Mark puts it in a sandwich. He does the fig tree and then the temple and then the fig tree, but Matthew tells it in a linear fashion. He has Jesus coming into the city, and then Jesus coming into the temple, and then this event with the the, the, the throwing of the tables and the money changers, and then the fig tree. Um, And for Matthew, he has Jesus like, uh, if you can imagine um, a cinnamon roll, did anyone ever like Cinnabon when they used to have those at the malls? Yeah, Uh, it's a bit like that. Jesus is doing this around Jerusalem all through Matthew's gospel. He only goes to Jerusalem once, and Matthew has the whole thing kind of Leading up to this moment that we just read right here, it's a showdown between Jesus and the people in the temple, the religious leaders, and those who represent it. And this is what we, this is what happens. Uh, the temple, if you are unfamiliar, in the story of the Bible, in in Israel's history, in Jerusalem, the temple is the pinnacle. It's the epicenter. Uh, uh, it is the Statue of Liberty to the American project, right? It is a symbol. It is an icon. It's not only a geographic location, but it is emblematic of everything that represents the people of Israel, what it means to worship God and Yahweh, right? This is where all, uh, all the worship happens. They have to go to the temple. In this case, they're in Passover, so it's the highest holiday of the whole year. The scholars would say that in Israel, in Jerusalem, like 30,000 people would have lived there, but in Passover, 180,000 people would have come to the city, So you can imagine this, like, everyone coming to the place that represents who we are and what we're about. So Matthew has Jesus and his sights set on the temple and those who represent it, and this is the situation that we find ourselves in. So what can we learn from Jesus about being engaged and really being active as people who follow Jesus, right? So Jesus has entered the city. He's on a donkey. He enters the city, then the temple, and he says to the church gathered, my house will be a house of prayer. Now, if you could, could you imagine if like Jesus were to walk in the church tonight, he would be like, listen up, guys, I have an announcement to make. This is a house of prayer. You'd all be like, thank you. We knew that already, right? Like, not anything new, no new information. But it's actually what Jesus doesn't say that's fascinating, there's a term called metalepsis in the Bible. Does anybody know what metalepsis is? I can't see you, but if you were to raise your hand, I'd be very impressed. Metalepsis is a, it's this, this idea where uh, a writer or an author, the biblical writers do it uh, all the time, where they'll start a story or a phrase and they won't finish it because they, think every, they know everybody knows what they're talking about. For example, in one of the gospels it says that Jesus passes through the crowd... And then the story ends. They want to kill him. Jesus passes through the crowd. And the the gospel writer, I think it's Mark, he doesn't finish the story because he knows that you know, as a good Jew, that this is a new exodus. This is a new Moses doing a new thing and he's passing through the people just like Moses did in the Red Sea. Metalepsis, right? If I were to say to you, "Um, tomorrow I got to get the worm. Does anybody know what I'm saying? I got to get up early, right? Because the early bird gets the worm. That's called metalepsis. Mark... or or Matthew, in this gospel, does this with what Jesus says. He says, my house will be a house of prayer, but it's what Jesus leaves out, or Matthew leaves out. That's so fascinating, and it comes from the book of Isaiah. So the first thing I want to offer, in terms of what we can learn from Jesus, let's read from Isaiah chapter 56. The prophet says this, this is what the Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand, right? What happens when salvation comes? This is is what he's saying. My righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating, it, keeps their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. No, for this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases, who hold fast. I will give within my temple and in the, in the, in its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. For the foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord and minister, who love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, who keep the Sabbath, who hold fast, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. And this is where Jesus quotes, their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called the house of prayer. For the religious, the elite, the ones who are holy, the Israelite, the Jew. No for all nations. What has Jesus said by quoting from Isaiah chapter 56? He's saying, I know what the temple's intended to be. It's It's a house not just for the religious, not just for the elite, not just for the holy, the people who have it all together, who have their ducks in a row. No, for anyone at all. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, including holy buckets, the sexual minority and the ethnic minority, not just the religious, not just the elite, not just the holy. When, when salvation, oh my gosh. The prophet Isaiah, in verse 1, he says, when the salvation of the Lord is close at hand. Does anybody know in Hebrew what the word salvation is? <laughs> it's Yeshua. You can't make this up. The prophet's like, when Yeshua is close at hand, here's what happens. The temple, which was intended to be a blessing for all, When salvation happens, when Jesus comes, when the Spirit of God is present, this thing, which was supposed to be a blessing for all, which has become a very small door and a very small table, and so Jesus lets it rip. When Jesus goes all in, when he's active, when he's engaged, when the Spirit of the Lord is inviting him to sort of walk it out, we find that Jesus is when he does it, it's for someone other than himself, and the table always gets bigger. So if I, if I would say one thing tonight as we begin, what happens when Jesus goes all in? When Jesus lets the spirit, this active in, uh, engagement, it, it always looks like serving someone else. And when he does it, the table gets bigger, not smaller. Jesus goes on and he says, not just my house is a house of prayer for all nations, meaning the table gets bigger, not smaller. It's an invitation for any and all. But then he says, you, but you, you've made it into a den of robbers. Or if you have the King James, a a brigand's lair. I love that. Who says brigand anymore besides like Johnny Depp? Uh, You've made it into a den of robbers. So you have Jesus entering the city, then the temple. He goes all in, he acts, he speaks, he flips over some tables, and when he does, he reminds them that salvation, when it comes, the table gets bigger, that God's blessing is not just for the righteous, not just for the holy, not just for the resident, not just for the straight, not just for the rich. And then he says, but you are making it a den of robbers. The image that Jesus uses when he says, my house is a house of prayer is from the book of Isaiah. And if you're a good biblical scholar, which you all are, I I know that, you will think, well, maybe the second thing he says is also from one of the prophets in the Old Testament, and you would be spot on. It's from Jeremiah chapter 7. We'll pick it up in verse 9. He says this, Will you steal, this is the prophet, and he's got a few things to say to the people of God. Right? He's, got a, he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's offering a, a critique to the people, and this is what he says. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name? And say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. I love that. It's like a mom. You know, they're just always watching. In Jesus' time, there were all kinds of people who thought God was on their side. I'm so glad we don't have any parallels to that people who think God is on their side because of how they vote or because of how they interpret said passage or because of how their tradition did this or that. In Jesus' time, it wasn't any different. Israel was waiting for a Messiah, this long awaited person who might come and restore and save and bring Israel back to its glory days of which the temple was a symbol. And the debate was how it would happen and what it would look like when the king came, and the kingdom happened, and that rule and reign was real and present. The Pharisees, the Essenes, the Sadducees, maybe you've heard some of these phrases in the Old Testament, or in the Bible, these are different people groups, and, how, and, and, and what they thought about how God would return was very different, but many of them thought it would be by force that God would come, and when God would come, it would look a bit more like a revolutionary, where God would, by power and by force, uh, drive out, at that point, the Romans through domination, through military strength, through economic superiority, where Israel would be once again reinstated to its place in the world. But Matthew's telling a different story about Jesus. It's not one of domination and superiority. It's not one about economic prowess. It's not one about power over military or any of those sorts of things, but rather an upside-down kingdom where the economy, where the currency is sacrificial love for even your enemy. So first, Jesus' power is used for someone other than himself. Secondly, I would say that when Jesus goes all in and uses his voice and his actions and his power, it is often in opposition to violence, domination, and power over. So people of God, alive in the spirit, spirit being present in you, when we engage, if we engage, when we activate, when we're front-facing, feet on the ground, shoulders square... We can take a cue from Jesus and recognize that it, it, it's, in, it's in the right spirit, it's in the right tone, in the right key when it's serving someone other than ourselves, and when it's opposing violence and domination and power over. This place is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations where the table gets bigger, not smaller. And it's not about power over and being a brigand or a revolutionary, but rather about power under, even loving your enemies. Lastly, I'll say this, and Matthew includes this tiny little detail in verse 14 that none of the other gospel writers include, and it's about the blind and the lame. Verse 14 says, The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Why is Matthew the only one to include this detail? Well, Matthew's writing to Jews, and a good Jew would know the story of the temple and the story of Jerusalem and the story of Israel and how it came to be. He's metalepsising, 2 Samuel chapter 5. This is the story about the city of Jerusalem and the temple. If you didn't know, there were two kingdoms in Israel, the north and the south, and David being the good, hallelujah, brother or sister, I can't tell. Brother, there we go. Um, David, being the brilliant military leader that he was, decides let's not find a city to call the capital that one of our two kingdoms occupies currently. Let's find a new one where no one can claim it. So they find this beautiful outcropping up on top of a hill that has an artesian water sprout spring flowing into it. He's like, we'll take that city. And this is what we get in 2 Samuel chapter 5. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. So if, evidently, the people who were normally on the watchtowers at the city uh, that the Jebusites were occupying were out getting donuts and uh, all they had to, to occupy the towers were the blind and the lame. And as a, a sort of critique or a, a, an egging on of David, they said, we're going to put our blind and our lame up on the towers to defend the city against you. That's how much we think of you. So David, David having a, the small and fragile ego that he does, uh, nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. And here's why I say it is small and fragile ego. On that day, David had said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft. So he sends Uh, Fighters up through the, gets them from the inside. And he says, the lame and the blind, uh, to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies, that is why they say, the blind and the lame will never enter the palace. So if you're a good Jew, you know the story of David and the blind and the lame being pushed from the from, from being present in the place of God, the temple and the palace, that they weren't allowed to be in there. And so it's fascinating that Matthew says that the, li- the blind and the lame, wow, let's try that again, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. <laughs> what kind of kingdom, what kind of Jesus are we talking about here? It's the kind of Jesus who says, when this rule and this reign, when the kingdom of God, when the spirit of God is present, this is what it will look like. We'll engage and we'll be active in service of others, not ourselves first. And when we do, it will always be to to oppose violence and oppression and power over. So much so that the people who have been excluded for all these years not only are invited to the temple to the very center, to the very heart and soul of what it means to be the people of God. But Jesus, Matthew says, goes out of his way to heal them and welcome them. To the people of the table, I would offer you this tonight. What does it look like to be empowered by, to live in the flow of the spirit of God, the resurrected Jesus, alive and well in this community and in your lives? There will be certain things, certain, certain character qualities. Love, joy, peace, patience. yes, yeah. self-control. Yes, sure. And also, I would add to that, if I may, I have my own book in the Bible. Justice. Action. And so if and when, you may be sitting here tonight and you're like, that's not me. Well, hopefully now you'll at least have something to tell your husband or your wife when they decide to be active. When they decide to engage. Or your friend or your roommate. What does it look like when we stand feet planted, shoulders square, and we speak a word of exhortation to the world around us? When we engage in the power of the Spirit, in the flow of the Spirit, I would suggest that it it will look at least like this, where it will always be in the service of others before self, where it will stand in opposition to things that are violent and that keep people oppressed and down. And to confirm that, I think Jesus says, Even the lame and the blind get welcomed to the temple and they get healed. So my friends, do you want to follow this Jesus? Do you want this spirit alive and well in you? And that's the the invitation every time you gather, right? To what degree will you say yes to that? To what degree will you allow that to inform how you show up in the world? And so I offer it to you again tonight. In the world that we live in, as people of God, as the people who follow the resurrected Christ, I think there are times and there will be times where we need to stand with feet on the ground, shoulders square, to say this is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus looks like this. It's always in service of others. It stands against violence. And everybody gets a seat at the table. Is that what you want? Is that the Jesus you follow? Pray with me if you, if you will. God, tonight as we consider what it means to follow this resurrected Jesus whose spirit is alive and at work in the world, whom Paul says when it's alive and at work in us, certain things happen. We become certain kinds of people people of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and even power under control, active and engaged in the world. And so I pray for my friends here tonight that you might speak a word to them, offering a word of encouragement or a word of exhortation. Holy Spirit, we trust you. We believe that you're good, that you are the spirit of truth and that you lead us to light and love and hope and forgiveness and mercy and grace all the things that Jesus was about. So maybe in the next few moments of silence, would you invite the Holy Spirit to speak a word to you? Whatever it might be for you tonight.
1: Tonight Micah has given us a challenge to discern where the Holy Spirit is leading us, where we might take a stand. And I'd like to use this next moment here in our service to further that invitation because um, we're about to take communion together. And just as Micah stated over and over again tonight, this, this is a table of revolution because it is a big table. We go to places where the table is small and there aren't any extra chairs, and we say, This isn't how Jesus intended it. He built a long table. When we do that, I sort of get this sense that we are planting our feet and squaring our shoulders and say, Not in this church. In this church, it's a long table. In this church, all are welcome. In this church, you have a place here because you are a beloved child of God, like we say every week we do that in this, in this part of our service. We do it every week because we want to remind ourselves as much as the person sitting next to us that this is for you. So we remember on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he was eating dinner with his friends, and he said, That this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember me. And then he took the cup and he poured wine into it, and he said, This is my blood. It's the new covenant because I'm doing a new thing. I'm making the table longer and you get to be part of it with me whenever you eat the bread and drink from the cup. Remember me until I come again. And the way that we do that here at the table is we're going to have two lines. We've got gluten free elements here on the left and regular elements on the right. And we would invite you during the, the next couple of songs to come when you're ready come to this table of reconciliation, this table of revolution, this table where all are welcome, and hear those words, that this is the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Would you stand with me as we say the prayer that Jesus taught us, together saying, our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the key.